What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is Write Who You Know, the screenwriting podcast that's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Today is Thursday, September 7th, uh, and I couldn't be more excited because it is the first official kickoff of the NFL tonight for Thursday Night Football. Uh, Not to make this a football podcast, uh, but, uh, you know, it's very funny. I was never into football growing up. Uh, I love the Lakers grow up in LA. I love the Dodgers, but like, I don't root for them all year. I don't go to that many games. Like, sure. I'll catch a game on TV with buddies every once in a while, or if someone invites me, I'll go, but I've never been the biggest sports fan. That was until I discovered football about six years ago. My brother was like, I'm going to start a fantasy football league and I'm going to invite all of our friends. And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And poo pooed him and the whole thing. But uh, football fucking changed my life. Now I'm like Rain Man. I can tell you who plays on what team, who's getting traded, what their contract uh, advances were, signing bonus. uh, And I love it. And uh, it's really exciting tonight. The Chiefs versus the Lions. We'll see. Is Travis Kelsey going to play? He tore that knee. He didn't tear. We're waiting to see if he tore his knee or if it was just like a weird, uh, weird uh, bend at practice. Um, but, yeah, the return of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs tonight uh, for Thursday Night Football. Uh, I'm going to go and meet all my goofy friends and league members at Barney's Beanery, uh, which is a place uh, stuck in time, and that time uh, is 2004. So uh, enough about football, because that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about writing, and today, dude, we've got uh, an L.A. legend uh, a high school loke dog, uh, someone that I've known growing up, uh, Dave Chernin. Dave is an awesome writer. Uh, he has written on so many seasons and episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia um, with his brother John. Uh, he has this upcoming movie, Incoming, coming out on Netflix, which is a comedy about uh, a couple tween boys that are going to their first big high school party. Uh, and he co-created The Mick uh, on Fox with his brother. Uh, And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, But first, we're going to get into uh, some L.A. party lore uh, that I want to unpack with Dave. And uh, honestly, I feel so much better uh, now that we have. So twist one up, pour yourself a glass of wine, uh, which is what Dave did. He brought over two bottles of wine. It was truly the nicest thing any guest has ever done. Uh, And uh, sit back for another searing hot episode of Right, Right Who You Know. Also, go and like and subscribe. If you can go rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify, do what you do. Give it five stars. Tell your friends, man. In the meantime, here's my interview with L.A. Loke dog homie, screenwriter extraordinaire, Dave Chernin. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell him right who you know. What I first wanted to get into you with you was fucking L.A. high school parties because I wanted to ask, were you at that party where I nearly got killed by Ben Luber? Because <laughs> Harper and I, Harper, Dill and I were talking about that. And I was like, we were like, it was Dave there too? I was there. You were? Okay. And I have a, a, a vivid memory of it. Oh, my God. Okay. That's what I wanted to ask what your memory of that I, is. I'd like to know because I feel like my memory is probably different than yours. Okay. I want to hear your okay, 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 okay. So first of all, I'm wearing. Um, I'm just spiking my audio because I'm. You can tell I'm so thrilled to talk about this. <laughs> um, and not to villainize you in any way. I've just anyone that was there. I have no. I, I this. I don't think some, you were there to beat me up. You were there probably to try. And I hook definitely up with girls. wasn't there to 
Yeah, I was just there trying to survive. Okay, we were cool. young. Yeah, we were like 16, 15, 15. I was 15. I, I'm excited to hear you go through this because okay. th- this is a weird, vivid memory of mine. Okay, this is great. I'm yeah. so excited, dude. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's like some night in eighth or not, I think ninth grade. I'm wearing a fucking shirt that says Slim Shady on it and like Jinko Dark Shirley. Yep, yep, yep. And we're all at Emily Goulston's house, uh, somewhere in the west, like Brentwood, maybe. That she lived in in Brentwood or Santa Monica. Yeah, I don't I don't remember it being there, but that's funny. Okay, and <laughs> I'm standing in the living room, and all of a sudden, like uh, the uh, is his name Michael or Michael Fujikawa? Sure, basically is like the ringleader of this and is like everybody into the living room or somebody to that extent and they were like madhouse fetter get on your fucking knees and say i am ben luber's bitch or we're all gonna kill you and like the brentwood football team like like shuffles in and truly like a record scratch from can't hardly wait the entire party pummels into this room <laughs> and are you still with me <laughs> you're so so stupid but yes so far <laughs> okay. so far this okay. is Close to what I remember. They make me get on the coffee table on my knees, you know, um, and I'm so nervous, like my fight or flight thing kicks in that I accidentally say uh, Ben Luber is my bitch, which then escalates us to another level. My shirt collar is grabbed. <laughs> I apologize. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, da, da, da. I say I'm Ben Luber's bitch. Uh, Ollie Temple Higgins, I remember just like just fucking foaming at the mouth to beat the shit out of me. He's mostly foam. No, <laughs> no real fight. But, dude, he followed uh, me around that night just like, what are you doing? Where are you going? All night. I don't remember that night at all, except for this incident. Okay, so tell me what your memory is, Dave. Yeah, well, here's the part that I think you may not be privy to. Okay. That that makes it stand out as like a very unique moment. <laughs> I remember Ben, who they made stand on a coffee table or something, yes. and you were like lower okay, than maybe him. Maybe then he was, like, a, yeah, okay. And I just remember him being mortified. Oh, and you I, think I, he was? I, oh, I know so. And I remember him turning to these older, because, you know, he had an older brother who all these guys were yes, friends with. Aaron, I believe his name yeah, is. Yeah, and they were all terrifying. These, these yes, older that, dude, I was terrified of all these older dudes. Uh, and Aaron's a, a lovely, lovely man now. But I remember Ben turning to Michael and just being like, dude, stop, please. And it just stuck with me. We actually wrote this into the mic. Because this really, really stuck with me. And it was just such a bizarre dynamic where the the two people at the center of, of this conversation wanted nothing to do with it. And it was being egged on by these scary older guys. Oh, yeah, dude. And I, I just, I'll never forget, Ben is a good friend of mine to this day. Please and tell like, him I say hello, by the way, and that, and that I open he, the podcast. He's going to love that I talked about this on a podcast. We're just getting right into it. Uh, I just remember him being so mortified. And not that guy who who wanted that to happen, but yeah, we we wrote that into an episode of the Mick. I remember we talked about this in the writers' room. Oh my god, I'm honored. Uh, and for, of all the dumb high school confrontations, I, I remember seeing this is the one that like stood out because I just remember how <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable it was for everybody. Oh, dude, I was I was scarred. Like in the car on the ride home, like I was with a couple of girls, yeah, and I was it. like in near tears. And I never, you can ask Jason Wolf this. Never went to a party on your guys' side of the hill again wow. until college. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was fucking clear terrified. of the west side. Yeah, dude, I was terrified. <laughs> oh, such a, There's a sad bunch of privileged uh, white kids. There is a fun button to this story, whereas I'm in, like, Wisconsin visiting Mandy Brown, and uh, I'm getting out of the shower, and I'm in nothing but a towel. And I walk into, like, you know, Mandy's room, and who is standing there but Ben Luber? And we haven't seen each other since this incident. And he, you know... 
I assume he was kind. He was. He totally was. I thought incredibly decent guy. Yes, I thought he was still going to be like aggressive, and he was just like, "Hey, man." And I was like, kind of taken. And you know, when you see this person that you have these like terrible nightmares about. Yeah, I was like, uh, "Hey, dude," and that was it. It would have been great if you guys just picked right up where you, where you left off. <laughs> Do you know why that happened? Or like, no I, idea. It's because I had a big mouth, and I went around telling everyone that he got he got filleted in a dressing room at Abercrombie and Fitch by some girl in my school. That'll do it. But like, it (laughs) wasn't like a bad thing. You know, it was like, can you believe this fucking, we were like ninth grade. This is like the coolest thing happened to anybody. At that age, I don't think it takes much to, uh, to set people off. Uh, yeah, no, I, I remember nothing leading up to that moment (laughs) or anything afterwards. I just remember like the, the just tangible, uncomfortable feeling. I love you telling me that Ben did not like it is making this so much better for me. Hated Honestly, it. I feel like a wave of relief watching over it. me, dude. That's very funny that you bring that up because I was thinking about it on the on the drive over here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I knew Matt a little bit in high school, and this is the moment that that comes to mind. But yeah, I remember Benj being like completely humiliated that night. Oh my god! Well, I hope he gave his brother a talking to. I, his brother wasn't even there. His he brother, so it was just the football. His team. brother went to boarding school, so oh. it was just like you know. I think his brother went to Windward when he was younger. Okay, so it was all his former friends. So it was Fujikawa homies, and yeah, yeah. and also there's the jujitsu crew around. No, this they time. they were legitimate. That's terrifying. why I was dude. I thought I was gonna yeah. get fucking murdered. Yeah, those guys were scary. Were you at, <laughs> were you at other parties where things like this went down of sorts? I, I feel like when I was in high school, I was never. A, a fighter uh, me either dude look at us i mean no. yeah i mean I, I wasn't like immune to getting punched every now and then <laughs> and i always deserved it but no I, I i do remember in high school there was like kind of every night there was some physical altercation yeah that you know you you wanted to get close to but not too close <laughs> it was <laughs> dude, did you ever get like fucking your ass handed to you in high school? I uh, never in high school, but I I got beat up a couple times when I was like eighteen, nineteen in college. Yeah, yeah, just like unprovoked. You're see, no, you're a nice no. guy for people out there in podcast land. You're a nice, sweet boy. I nice try enough to, to be, drive over but, here from Venice, but I can I can get a little mouthy sometimes, and like you know, I I don't have that whatever that gear is that makes you want to hurt another person. Yeah. I don't have that, so it's a bad combination. I think. Uh, Getting a little loud mouth and and not being willing to fight, you know, you can land in some trouble sometimes. Is your brother older than you? John's a year older than me. So, you're, you're so, in change. so probably like, do you feel like being the younger brother and having someone who probably you know beat not bullied you, but like you know having an older brother, I feel like sort of toughened you up for the world, and also did that does that make you feel like oh I can talk shit because like my older brother will fucking be here any minute? Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, we were so close in age that, it, it, you know, I mean, we we beat the hell out of each other, but yeah. it, it went both ways. And John's, you know, the nicest guy. I didn't ever. even know like, you had a brother yeah. until uh, you guys started writing together. Yeah, he was a, a grade above. Uh, we were the same year, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he well, was graduated in 03. 03. Yeah. yeah. So he was 02. Okay. And then Margaret, my little sis, is 05. Mm-hmm. So we were all pretty close. All right. Yeah, there was definitely no, uh, I mean, John would never, if I deserve to get beat up, he's letting that happen for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys go to school together? Where did you go to college? I went to Berkeley and USC. Okay. Uh, John was back east at Brown. Oh, all right. So mm-hmm. did you, did you transfer from Berkeley mid mid? I did. I did two years at each. I uh, you know I was writing a ton at Berkeley, so I transferred to USC because they didn't really have a film school. 
Um, so I transferred to USC to be a screenwriting major and took one class and, you know, it was, I mean, they have a serious program over there and everyone's trying to be the next Spielberg and I'm in the corner making dick and fart jokes. <laughs> uh, and it was humiliating. I, I remember being genuinely humiliated leaving class because you'd have to write scenes and then read them out loud in front of the class and everybody was writing these like serious dramatic pieces uh, and I was just interested in comedy. So I took one class and then I, I quickly was like, what's what's going to get me out of here the fastest? And it was uh, uh, communications. So I ended up majoring in that. All I right. took one screenwriting class. Growing up, Dave, like, what were the shit that you love where you're like, that's what I wanted? Like, was it Jim Carrey? Like, what made you be like, I fucking comedy is the be all end all? I mean, sure. Uh, for me, it was it was the Fairley brothers uh, were, you know, that that first three that they came out of the gates with what was it uh, dumb and dumber mm -hmm. kingpin something about mary. mary uh i mean that's the best one two three punch ever yeah, in my mind uh and yeah that's in a lot of ways that's how i learned to write i got, i became obsessed with those movies and just read those scripts over and over again no shit uh and then john actually worked for the fairlies uh right out of college so i had that connection so when i was like probably 19 years old i'd written my first script and i i sent it to peter um who's an incredibly nice guy who i'd met in passing a few times and he he just could not have been more kind and helpful to me early on and like really sat me and my buddies down went through our script page by page and you know he said he's like i read i mean first we sent it to him didn't hear back from him for nine months or something uh and then, by the way were you like we're never gonna hear from him? yeah okay. yeah and then you get a call one day uh, hey, it's Pete Fairley. I read your script. It's funny. Do you, can you come into the office and talk to me about it? Uh, and we went in there, and he went. Pay, I, I remember the first thing he said was, "You guys have never written a script before, have you?" We're like, "No." And he's like, "Yeah, I can tell. This is funny, but you don't know how to write a screenplay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to teach you that." And he spent the entire day. I mean, starting page one, then it was page two. He went line by line. Uh, and taught us everything from character to point of view to likability to the three-act structure. And I remember at the end of that first day, you know, we had been there for seven, eight hours. Uh, and he was like, I got to go. I got to go home. Is there any way you guys can come back tomorrow and do this again? We're like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so we did two days with Pete Fairley, and he really taught us how to structure a screenplay fucking a did you yeah. guys do his like notes and sent like or do you just like thank you like i'm gonna put that on my next shit i have to this day i have a notebook that i had in that session that like you know and there, there are rules that i stick to to this day huh. um and and i always knew mainly because something about mary is just i try to read that like once a year because i so think good. it's such a great script it's so uh, good and what they do is you know they write some of the dumbest stuff ever but it's really smartly uh crafted and structured um so yeah I, they're they're heroes of mine and i was very excited to to see him win uh best picture screenplay uh because i you know i what always knew for i'm forgetting he won it for green fart. book i was which, gonna say you know, i think it's I, green book <laughs> yeah i don't know that it was a great experience for him it was at a tough time where like the world turned on him uh, Why did the world turn on you? You know, I think it was like 2018, and there was a lot of uh, social injustice issues going on, and they felt it was a you know a oh because white, white savior writing. movie. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, I really like that movie, and I, I think that guy's a, a truly genius writer. Um, nor do I think he was like trying to do anything. No, like, yeah. 
so groundbreaking with that movie. Uh, I think he just wrote a story that he was interested in. But, uh, you know, I was happy to see a guy who who I think is such a master of his craft get like for what you know it's amazing to yeah. go from dumb and dumber to a, a best picture it's crazy <laughs> you guys still keep in touch does he know does he know what like how monumental you he, he sort of is I, in the- I, i've certainly told him over the years i don't i don't really keep in touch but i you know i see him passing every now and then uh and yeah to still uh, a definite hero of mine so after usc and this like what like what you're like okay so fucking now what like i'm okay i kind of like i graduated with a comm major I'm, you know, I wrote a script like I mean, I was I was rolling at that point. I, I wrote a lot in college. I wrote a ton. You know, I, had, I, I when I was a freshman in college, I wrote a screenplay for the first time. And then I had written three or four by the time I got out. And I had been trying to sell them all. So and I were you just like going off dome, or like did you, were you reading like you know everyone's like oh you should read story by Robert McKee? Or I, I read them all. Okay. At a, at an age when like I had the time to read them, and at an age when I could really absorb them. Good but, for you, Dave. What a little fucking well, go getter. I, I it wasn't even that, man. Like you know, no, I was never. You, I give you credit for like knowing what you want to do and like you know learning about. I it. I didn't know until I was eighteen, and I had a buddy who was like, "I have an idea for a movie. You're kind of funny. Would would you write it for me?" Uh, and I wrote it, and it was a mess, but I really had a great time. So after that, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I think I can, I think I can do this. I think I would be happy doing this. And then I really put the pedal to the metal. I read the books, uh, but more than anything, I read every script, yeah. of every movie I loved. I, I just, you know, I Googled them and if I could find them, I read them. Yeah. They're all available. Uh, I think. So by the time I transferred, that was another thing. I went to this screenwriting class at USC and I realized that I was ahead of everybody in that like the the reading for the semester i had read it all you know i had read save the cat i I had read all these different books and i had i kind of felt like everything they were going to teach me in this first class at least i already knew and i was just like fuck it you know let's keep writing i feel like i'm getting better with each one so let's just stay the course um and that's kind of how i figured it out what was like the first one where you're like i have something that's fucking good enough to like send to agents and not get laughed at or like they can be like, this is my first professional fucking Dave Churn and John. Yeah, I had written a spe- I had written so these three and a half movies, but uh, wasn't able to sell any of them, and like for good reason, they weren't they weren't good enough. <laughs> also, I was like so young. I look back <laughs> to these meetings that I was like, you know, I was calling in these favors to get these meetings, and like you would learn pretty quickly when you sit down in these meetings that these people are just taking them as a favor and like half the time they hadn't even read the script oh, that's gotta be fucking uh, it terrible. was so frustrating so like i did get started early but at the same time like i had been busting my ass for five years uh trying to sell these shitty movies <laughs> and i had made some contacts over those years so like i'd met some agents uh, i'd met some producers and i kind of came out of school um i called my parents and was like, I'm going to bartend for a year. Give me a year to bartend. I want to write. And I, you know, I had the luxury of John being a year older than me and we were living together and kind of starting to write together a little bit. Um, but he wanted to write too. We and he was it. working for Peter at the moment. Yeah. He, I, I, he was working for either Peter or he had a job for a minute at uh, Scott free, which was a uh, Ridley Scott's like uh, commercial production mm. company. He was doing one of those, but he was writing with a friend. I was writing with a friend and we were living together. Um, but I'd seen him trying to do the nine to five thing and then come home and, and write and yeah. be exhausted. And it was just hard. So yeah. I, I had the luxury of seeing him struggle with that. 
Um, so I called my parents, which was a terrifying phone call to just be like, I'm a bartender. <laughs> Uh, and you're like, I, I don't know how to make drinks other than a Jack and Coke. But I had to go. I, I had a buddy who was this managing was my, yeah, this a bar, okay, and he, he introduced me to the owner, and the owner was like, if you go to bartending school, you can have the job. And I did. And bartending school was fucking Walk hard. Walk me through man. this, like, Dave. This is where I'm going with it. Walk me through, dude. It was like a two-week course. Uh, and you're in some sad office building. You oh, know, it's not like, like at a bar. No, no, okay. no. You're in like an office building <laughs> where you get in the elevator and people are going to like their State accounting jobs. Yeah, yeah. kind of. And then you go into one office and there's like a makeshift bar with, uh, you know, no real booze, just uh, water with food coloring. And they have like little like sponges cut in the shapes of limes or lemons. Uh, and I swear to God, they, I had a stack <laughs> I love up this to visual. my knees of of flashcards of different cocktails that no one would ever order, but like to you know to this day I know some weird drinks. Yeah, like no one's ever ordered like a, a fucking Harvey Wallbanger, but like <laughs> that was a card or Singapore uh, Sling. Yeah, or like well, Singapore Sling. I actually don't remember that, but I see that on menus every now and then. I'm like, <laughs> ah, still still kicking. Huh? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that you feel like an old bartender. You know, you're like, let's see what they've got on the program. Really old timey drinks. <laughs> yeah, I always liked the. Uh, what was it? The Long Island iced tea uh -huh. or like the Adi, like those scummy drinks because you got to grab like six bottles at one time <laughs> and, and pour them in. <laughs> it had like a lot of flair yeah, behind it. Totally. You're like Tom Cruise in cocktail. But I went to this uh, this two week program and like at the end you have to take this <laughs> this final exam. That's basically you get up there in front of the class. You draw straws for what order you go in and you, you get up to the front and they order 10 drinks and you have like three or four minutes to make all ten drinks, and and you get three errors. If you get three strikes, you fail the class. I remember I was third. I was the third one to go. The first two people failed. Oh god! I'm like, Fuck! I'm gonna fail bartending school. <laughs> this is gonna be a painful. Imagine phone having call. to call your parents back. So uh, guys, <laughs> and like you just, I guess you just do the two week course again. And but still, like it's it, you know, I don't yeah. need that on my record. No, no dude. <laughs> So I pass. I think I got two strikes, but right. I, I got through and I got a job at this just awful, awful bar. What was it called? Oh my god! I don't want to put anyone out here. Okay. It's since closed. It was called uh, Alora. It was at this restaurant called the Organic Panificio in Marina del Rey, which is now called Killer Shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> just some scummy marina bar, and like you go in there. I mean, this place could fit three thousand people. Uh, never were there more than eight people in there <laughs> so it never got high octane for well you. my first day the day that it opened was on fourth of july and fourth of july in marina del rey you know it's it's packed i bet so that first night i made six hundred dollars in tips after that i don't think i ever went home with more than ten dollars <laughs> and you're splitting your tips oh but it was also i mean it was a nightmare because your friends here oh dave's bartending free drinks and yeah. like that is not how yeah, it goes know. you know so everybody's like pissed at you like you fucking kidding me dude you're gonna charge me full price meanwhile like i have friends puking on the bar <laughs> trying to like fight the the other bar it was just a nightmare it got to a point where like there was an upstairs at this place that had uh they would rent it out to like bar mitzvahs or like 18 and under parties mm -hmm. and you no one wanted to work up there because you're essentially just cracking cokes and handing <laughs> them out to kids uh, but we weren't allowed to drink on the job, which seems absurd, right? Yeah. You'd think if you're a bartender, all we do <laughs> is drink, parks, right? <laughs> right? 
But I would always, because you're pulling tips downstairs, so I'd always be like, yo, I'm, I'll take the upstairs shift, and I would just tell one of the cocktail waitresses, just feed me drinks that look like water. Uh, so I was, I'll drink a lot of vodka sodas at the time and just like opening Coca-Colas for 14-year-olds. Uh, and I did that for six months. This is a long way of saying I some of the people I'd met uh, throughout the years of writing bad screenplays, I reached out to them and I'm like, hey, I'm really, really trying to do this. And I'm at Killer Shrimp. I'm at, I'm at the organic Panaficio. I'm at a Laura, baby. <laughs> I do remember asking the owner one time, like, what does a Laura mean? And he was like, I have no idea. Just, it sounds cool, though, right? I was like, eh, kind of, I guess. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 there was this agent that uh, was like, show me one of your scripts. And I was suddenly insecure about my writing. I was like, you know, I, I'm better now. I could, I could do better. And he was like, well, write me an episode of your favorite TV show. Uh, and Always Sunny had just started. Um, and I wrote an episode of Always Sunny that was good, to answer your question. I knew it was good. And I don't, you know, I don't think everything I write is good. Yeah. Quite the opposite. But I totally. knew that I had this one. Uh, it just, you know, I wrote it really fast. It, it, I wrote two simultaneously, side by side. And they were both good, but one I knew was really good. So I gave that to him. Uh, and he thought it was good and it kind of got passed around. And then finally someone was like, Hey, I can get this to a guy at FX. If you'd be cool with that. Like, I'm very cool with that. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and eventually that guy said, I, can I give this to Rob McElhinney, who's the creator and showrunner? Uh, and I said, absolutely. And then like three months after that, I just randomly one day got a call from Rob saying, read your script, funny, come work for me on this other show. Uh, it was called Boldly Going Nowhere. Um, they were doing like a network. It was basically like Sunny meets Star Trek, kind mm. of. Uh, that didn't go, even though it was very funny. We wrote six scripts. So I was the writer's assistant on that and then kind of cruised into Sunny from that. Dave, I'm going to let you take a sip of your wine while I. You take a sip. So here's what I want to ask you Rob McElhinney. Do calls... I sound parched? Is no, that no, not at all. Okay. I just, I, I want to, I like to let my this guests is good. relax and enjoy, baby. It's your know? show. Um, when when you get the call from Rob, like, do, are you nervous? Do you like, are you like, holy shit? Did you have any? Did you know he was gonna call you? Like, or you just were like, you know, at a fucking gas station and your phone rings? I remember exactly where I was. I was walking down Venice Boulevard, uh, and no, I, I didn't believe it at first. I remember I just said bullshit when he was like, "It's Rob McElhenney," because I was a huge fan of this show. I was like borderline obsessed with this show when it came out. Um, and then it quickly became clear to me that it was actually Rob Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, were you like, what, he just was like, come work for me. You, you know what, like, you know okay. what I did too? That was, I cringe thinking about it is the moment I got off the phone with him. I was so excited. I called one of my friends to tell him like, you'll never fucking believe what just happened. And I accidentally and called, called Rob him. back <laughs> <laughs> to gloat about the phone call I just received from yeah. him. <laughs> that's uh that, dude that feels about right uh yeah and he he was great he was like we're we're kind of in the middle of a sunny season and uh we're doing this other show though if you want to come by and, and help us out with it so so you do that you do six scripts when are they like we're gonna fucking call you up to the majors uh it was we did six scripts of that which have been like you know completely picked apart and and put into sunny now like yeah. some of the all-time famous sunny bits are from those those six scripts that we wrote for another show um right after you know they i, I think when that show ended they were starting uh 
the next season of Sunny. Um, and I just more or less got along with them. I don't know that I was like particular. I wasn't a great writer's assistant. I know that. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, like you just try to be someone who is not annoying to hang out in a room with. Yeah, for, for fourteen eight, hours, ten yeah. hours a day. Yeah. Um, so I I went to season whatever that was as a writer's assistant. Uh, and then when I was a writer's assistant on Sunny, I got a script and kind of kept going from there. Do they let you pitch and shit in the room? Or were you like, dude, this room is so fucking full of heavy hitters. I don't know. I'm not, I'm opening my mouth just to ask like. You in know. very, both of those, like in very encouraging to, to pitch, very encouraging. Uh, and yet, look, I, I was very confident at that point in my writing because I'd, I'd written so much and I knew the show backwards and forwards. I really did. Uh, but I remember getting into that room for the first time and like within two minutes it became clear like shut the fuck up and pay attention because there are some real you know aside from rob charlie glenn who are in that writer's room every day uh and are incredibly funny and smart and talented they're the other writers in that room you know rob Rizell, scott martyr david hornsby uh they it, my jaw was on the floor you know i thought i was good and funny and then you kind of see these guys go and it, it changes your entire perspective so yeah i had and yet they were very encouraging they would pull me aside a lot and and push me to talk more um they're like you know you have good ideas when you do speak but you don't speak enough uh and that that was kind of always who i was in a writer's room i was quiet like it, it's a tough you know as you know it's a tough uh, dynamic to figure out especially in that room which was uh competitive and like you know they're the greatest guys but it was kind of a mean room everyone was tough on you like god forbid you like got a haircut that weekend <laughs> oh, dude, like yeah. or, or a new belt <laughs> or whatever like yeah. you would you know you went in there like with your guard up every day <laughs> uh and i'm so grateful for the time in that room because they they toughen you up um and it, it was just amazing to be in the presence of those guys you learn a ton do you have any memories of like the it was the funniest fucking like the, my first down on dateable this guy this writer named mike hobert we got you know how you get like so many cakes from like every agency and manager this dude did this invitation of a drunken baby where he went out of the room took off his shirt uh <laughs> came back in and like pretended to be like a fucking drunken baby and then like smashed his entire upper torso and face into these cakes <laughs> and just like crawled on the floor i was like i i didn't you know day one i'm like you can do this like hr doesn't come like this is incredible i mean room bits it's one of the the great bummers of the pandemic oh. and everything going to zoom <laughs> is that the room bits is 75 percent of the day yeah and you hope that one of them turns into an episode yeah. of some sort but yeah i mean there was a lot of I remember bits and funny conversations that ended up becoming great episodes. I remember like uh, the kitten mittens thing, uh, especially as a writer's assistant where you're just paid to kind of be a stenographer. <laughs> like I have a vivid memory of that that first year there. That's incredible, um, man. And was your brother that? When did your brother join? So the party? he came on uh, the next season. So I was living with John. Um, we were mostly writing separate, but we were just starting to work on our first thing together. And those guys were kind enough to kick me a, a script and they were so busy shooting the show and running the show and doing everything that those guys do. They're so spread thin. It was a pretty small room at the time. Uh, but I just remember always going to them like, can we talk about that? I'd never written a TV script before, <laughs> aside from the spec that got me the job. 
So I would go to them and be like, hey, I, I just wanted to run something by you. And they were almost, you know, not to say they weren't helpful, but they were very busy and were just like, not right now. Maybe we can talk tomorrow. And I'd go home and and just kind of complain to my brother, like, I'm fucking dying here. And I would sit with him and work it out with him. And then, you know, I'd go in the next day and and Rob or Charlie or whoever would would come up and say, hey, I got 10 minutes. You want to talk about that thing? And I'd be like, you know what? I talked to my bro last night and we figured it out. Um, so they kind of knew that we had this uh, writing relationship cooking. And then when they officially hired me as a staff writer, um, they were just like, we know you write with your brother. Would he be interested in coming on too? That's so, amazing. Yeah, that's so he came on a, a year after me. All right, I have two questions. Mm -hmm. When they give you that script, and you know, when, I remember when I was a staff writer, or but you were a writer's assistant, right? When they kicked you that script, yeah. So you you must have known like the you know like oh I'm gonna this is like probably the first chunk of change you were gonna get from writing. Did you feel like you won the fucking lottery, or oh, did yeah. you did you like go buy like a Gucci belt or something? Because I certainly fucking did. No, but ugh, fuck, let me think if I brought bought anything. Dumb. I'm sure I did. I bought those. I bought Gucci loafers that had no back. <laughs> I like... I remember getting a script fee, which I think is for cable half hours thirteen thousand dollars, and just being like, I don't have to work the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was living with five guys in the Hollywood Hills, so my rent was nothing. And most of these guys didn't have real job. You know, we were 22. Yeah. Uh, we were eating a lot of spaghetti and drinking a lot of Coors Light. So for the most part, I wasn't spending any of it. Yeah. Uh, I would I would work for these three, four months a year. And then I would just like, fuck off the other eight. <laughs> like, I didn't want... I was having so much fun on this show. I did not want another job. I didn't want anything that would possibly conflict with the next season yeah. if they would have me back. So I would work three, four months a year. And then kind of just like drive across the country, visit friends. But yeah, that's how I would spend the money. Just living, <laughs> just living for the next eight months <laughs> on my $13,000. Where were you when they called to be like, we want you to be a staff writer, dog? Do you remember that call? Or was it like in person? That I don't remember. I was doing a lot of shit for them. Like I was writing a, at the time they had a blog on like mm. the FX website. So, like, there were little gigs that they were like, would you be interested in doing this? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, there was that. There was, like, I was I was doing the script coordinator gig, which... You were, you were a script coordinator? Yeah, I mean, How? one of the, one of the worst dude, ones the hardest, ever. Dude, it's, it's hard. It's the hardest fucking job ever. I remember... Look, these guys came up outside the system, you got to remember. So, they, they were very uh, kind and almost, like, went out of their way, I, it felt like, to shepherd inexperience into their their thing and like it was uh i think that was a lot of the magic of the show in those early days and like the way they would preach how to make the show was just like you've seen tv right and you're like yeah and like some right what you'd want to see on tv <laughs> and like there was just something uh the the almost like ignorance is bliss or you know there's like a, a whatever that buddhism thing is like the beginner's mind where mm -hmm. you don't know any better so you're open to everything and yeah. i think that was really the magic of that show uh certainly in those first you know five six seven years um so yeah i was doing all these and i was a terrible script coordinator man i i like have I, that's I, like I, the hardest job in fucking writing but i do remember rob saying like i was like "Ooh, i don't know how to do that and he was like Bro, it's more money. Fucking figure it out. Like, just do it. It'll be fine. And I remember fucking things up 
and being so nervous going into production meetings. Like I remember this one meeting where I, for some reason, like it, it jumped from like scene seven to like scene 24. It was just, I just remember having like my heart pounding going into this meeting and raising my hand when we got to scene seven and just being like, Hey, just so everyone knows, I, I really dropped the ball here and I apologize. And like, it's just like, who gives a shit? Like, let's keep going. Like it was a very like kind of guerrilla style. That's awesome. Uh, you know, that's the charm of that show. And, and I think it's probably not as much like that anymore, but yeah, they were just, they were cool, man. And it was kind of a anything goes atmosphere. When it, when that show hits critical mass and you're like working on it, do you feel like, Dude, this is a fucking I, this is the greatest job ever. Like you must have felt like a fucking rock star. I I, I just remember loving it. I, I was having the time of my life and like I was there like right at that point, you know? Like I probably did a year before I think it was that Nightman Cometh episode that really like suddenly every it was a household name, that show. Um, and I was there for that and it was a, it was totally trippy. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was, uh, I I do just remember like those guys were working really hard. Um, and we were coming in Saturdays and Sundays and I I just loved getting that call. Like we're coming in Saturday, we're coming in Sunday. I, I was there, I was ready to go. I was having so much fun. Um, just laughing, man, just laughing so much (sighs) and learning a ton from those guys. So that's leading. You're leading me right into my next my next thing. So when it was your turn to have a room, which we'll get to, how do, how does the Mick come to be? The Mick came to be. Uh, we had just done a pilot that did not work out for a lot of reasons, and I think up up until the Mick, John and I were like very. We, I don't know. We were unsure of. I don't want to say unsure of ourselves because we were we were confident on the page, but we had done a show that didn't work out, and we had we had created it, and we're gonna be the showrunners. But we worked so hard to collaborate with everybody, um, and it got to the point where there were a lot of just like strong, opinionated voices in the room, and we ended up with this script that was good, not great. It was kind of a Frankenstein of like three, four different camps of ideas. And it ultimately got passed on. I think it probably should have been picked up, but you know you can't you can't fault them for passing on, on it. Fox. It wasn't no, it oh. was on FX. Okay, uh, it was not undeniable. It was good, but it wasn't undeniable. And I remember coming out of that, we just felt like, man, not only did it not work out, but we didn't even make the show that we really wanted to make because we were trying so hard to please everyone. And at the end of that experience, no one said, like, man, that didn't work out, but boy, did the Churnins play ball. It was just like, yeah, they didn't get it done. So we pivoted to the Mick, which was an idea that we had had for years. It was actually an idea that, we, you know, we had done that show with a comedian who we loved, and we first pitched him the Mick. Uh, and he wasn't into it for whatever reason, so we did another thing with him. And then the moment that didn't go, we kind of came back to the Mick, uh, we were obsessed with Caitlin Olson. She was our favorite character to write for on Sunny. Um, and then we were like, what if we flip that main character to a woman? Uh, and it just kind of went from there. But we went in with a chip on our shoulder, for sure. Uh, and we were just like, you know, whatever happens here, whether it succeeds or fails, we're going to make the show we want to make. So that was the mentality we went into the Mick with, uh, which probably 
piss some people off in the network TV world, but we're just like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing worse than failing on someone else's terms. Uh, if you fail, you kind of want to look back on it and be like, yeah, that didn't work out, but we did the thing that we were trying to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least you can sleep easy at night. Um, so that was kind of the way into the mic. And then once that machine got up and running, uh, there were just so many people involved that were inspiring us on a daily basis that that was, I mean, that was a full shit show, that show. There was never a day that was easy on that show, but I'm very proud of it, looking back on it, of what it was. It was a hard show to put on Fox on 8 p.m. on a Tuesday every week. Um, but, yeah, I, I look back on that very fondly, that experience. Dave, the pitch for that show, like, do you and John, when you guys do pitch shows, are they, like, is it like Carlin where it's like it's scripted, but it's scripted to feel colloquial so that like you think it's <laughs> off the top of our dome or are you guys just very loose? Like, yeah, like how what's your pitch style, dude? Uh, it, it It's changed over the years, but it's not off the top of the dome. I mean, yes, it's what you just said. We try to make it sound off the top of the dome, right. which is impossible to do with two <laughs> totally, people totally. because there's always a moment when you're like, you got to pass the football. like. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. the second person jumps in. But, yeah, man, we told a lot of uh, just personal stories. You know, the Mick, the character was initially based on our mom. And, like, now she watches that chat. She's like, what about this? Is me? <laughs> it's just like a piece of shit alcoholic. <laughs> I'm like, well, not that. But uh, that's how it started. So we went in there and told stories about our mom, who was just, like, a funny – she was very strict – but like very creative in the way she would punish us. Uh, so we went, that was a good, it was just a good pitch. It was very personal. Um, it was also, I don't know, network TV was so boring at the time. Uh, and maybe, maybe still is, I don't know. Yes. But it, it just, it did just feel like we went in there and it was a, it, it was a ballsy pitch. I know that was one of the things we were always trying to figure out with that show is like, do we do it for cable or network? And there was just always something appealing about, like, it feels like a cable show, but wouldn't it be cool if we could cram it onto network TV? Um, and I think it was, you know what, the the green light for us was Last Man on Earth. When that came out, that first season of that show was just so weird yeah. and funny and, like, nothing I'd seen in a while on network TV that we were like, okay, maybe we could do this at Fox. Did they buy the pitch in the room or like, did you get the call in the parking lot? Like, what's that? I always say writing so fucking thankless that you have to celebrate these wins. So like, <laughs> where were you when you got this big W? We got that in the in the room and we had pitched it to all four networks and three of them made an offer in the room. And I remember ABC, like we felt like they were going to have us escorted out by security. <laughs> like they were so not into it. <laughs> I, I We did NBC first and thank God they liked it. Because if we had done ABC first, our, our confidence would have been completely shattered. Totally. And we did Fox <laughs> last, so that was by far the most off-the-cuff one. You know, we had done it so many times. And, and here's how John and I did it, to answer your question. Like, we scripted out, like, very word-for-word word scripted out. Yep. Then we record it, which is a painful process. Then we spend about two weeks just playing it in our cars. We, over and over again until you absorb it. It's like a song, you know? Uh, that's how we did it. And that's how we kind of still do it. 
I loved the vi- I loved the visual of like you sitting at like you know a red light listening, listening. To you. It's like, like I, Kenny Powers. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that. Like I I hate first of all you hate that I'm dread I'll never listen to this podcast because why hearing your own voice is just fucking you have painful. a wonderful voice dude I trust can't me imagine. I sound like a moron no dude you sound wonderful <laughs> perpetually you know? stoned. Are you, but you don't even smoke pot, do you? I smoke pounds of pot. Really? <laughs> We're, why haven't we ever hung out, Dave? You know, I'm like, trying what the to. Fuck? I'm trying to cut back, but no, I, I I don't smoke pounds of pot. Just I do all night. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, I realized I realized I have a problem because the Good. last the last yeah, it's fine. But like <laughs> the last piss I will take before bed, definitely one of the thoughts is like, man, I can't wait for that first hit in the morning, that first sativa fucking. Uh, you should get that under control. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I have a problem. You know? Yeah, well, that's good though, right? Yeah, sativa all day and then do, indica into the evening. Do you feel it? It helps you, right? All day. And the, the the thing is, like, it's complicated because I have a kid now. So like, I'm trying to n- not be stoned when I'm like on as a parent. Which is as a parent, like Saturday and Sunday are your work days now. Like when you have a nanny, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's like I get to go to an office by myself i fucking get to work you know from 10 to whatever and i'm like okay get my fucking brain back where it's not just like being pulled in 400 directions and so i will smoke all day then but like on the weekends now i sort of have to be like all right maybe a hit here and a hit there from a vape because i don't want my daughter to smell you know you don't want your baby to smell (laughs) yeah well well, like the other day she got into my car she likes to like pretend i'm driving a car she got in my car and she literally goes it smells like green. She literally just said, like, it smells like... I'm like, what are you fucking synesthesia? She knows. I know, dude. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I, it, it's a useful tool, totally. I find. The problem is, like, like, I, I, like especially when, when you're show running, you certainly can't be yeah, in any writer's room, by the way. I've, yeah. I've made the mistake. I could certainly count on one hand the times that I've walked into a writer's room stoned, like, do. this is going to be okay. And, and you just get run over yeah you cannot do that but at the end of a night when you've yeah. been toiling away at hours and you're just stuck on something you you can smoke a joint and for 30 40 minutes yeah it, it, it accesses a different part of your brain and i think it's a useful tool the problem is when you've been doing that all day it's like well this isn't going to do anything if we just continue doing it so i've tried to to back off in my writing and then save it for like kind of the end of the night. Do you dab? No, dude, I can't. I the, I tried that once, and I was like, "This is you might as well be DMT." It's I, when did we as a society decide that weed wasn't strong enough? Like it was perfect, <laughs> dude. That's my problem. I, like it's the reason why I'm smoking less now. I think it's because everything's just gotten too strong. It's real intense. Yeah. Like I just like those like little baby J's or like I'll roll weed myself. Like I I'm still like hitting the pipe like I'm in high school. Are you a pipe guy? Ever? I'm a joint guy. Only Strictly J's. joints. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's very cool of you. Is it? It's kind of like Wooderson. Well, it's like a, <laughs> <laughs> It's like a dying art a little bit. Yeah. I, I've noticed. But like I you know I you go into these uh, dispensaries and the. <laughs> I always tell the people, like, I just want something that's not going to just level my day right off the bat. The I, got, I, got, I got shit to do. And yeah. they're like, oh, you're going to love this one. It's 68% THC. I'm like, that's the exact opposite <laughs> of what I asked for. Yeah, dude. The thing that I want doesn't exist there anymore. You know what? Kelsey just got these J's. I'll show you. They're called by, like, Drew so-and-so. I'll show you. 
they're like 10 to 15 percent thc joints like for when you're not trying to be fucked up as fuck. that's what i want i just like the ritual of smoking me too me too all right so wait dave back to the mick so what you sell the show you write the pilot everyone loses their minds where are you when you and john get the call of your series is a go no idea okay I, i have no recollection of that moment I know we were very, at that point, we were very bullish on it. We're just like, this is going, no one's going to stop it. We were, we were really, and and, you know, even Fox was like, it's okay. Like, we're like, oh, this is going on the air. We were very driven at that point. And I remember once we got Caitlin to agree, it was on. Oh, for sure. There's like, there's no way we're not getting this pilot picked up. Uh, I don't remember that moment. You're like, I dare you to pass, motherfucker. It was kind of like that. Like, I'm sure we were assholes. You know what I remember, uh, which I'm not proud of? It's, it's, it's actually, I look back on it as one of my missteps as a showrunner, is when we got the call for uh, the, you know, the back half of the first season, uh, we had our eyes, like, the, the prize was syndication in yeah. our eyes. And, like, of anything course, short of that was... That's how you was, become a fucking millionaire. Yeah, anything short of that was, a, a, you know, I don't want to say a failure, but in our, that's how we were treating it. And I do remember being in the writer's room when it got announced that they were giving us a back nine or ten to our season or whatever, and the writers were, you know, understandably excited. Yeah. They had a job for the rest of the yeah. year. And John and I couldn't have been less. It's like, yeah, no shit. That's not what we. That's not what we're playing for here. Like, get back to work. <laughs> and I think we could have been better about taking a minute to to appreciate that. And I, I feel this way throughout the show. Like, we never stop to to kind of high five each other and say this is pretty cool, right? I look back on it now as like a great experience, but it was killing us. And like, <laughs> the only way to you know, network TV is such a beast yeah. that you always feel and they're always reminding you that this could go away at any second. Like the whole way that business is designed is to make you feel a little inadequate and a little insecure. And like, if you don't play ball, like could all go away. Nothing is guaranteed. And yeah. like, we really had that approach the whole time. So like, I remember that as, as something that I did not handle well. <laughs> did you did you know when you when it did end up going away? Did you have an idea it was going away, or was no. that like a surprise to you? None. <laughs> so you were Huge fucking shocked. Surprise. Shocked. I was. Uh, yeah, man, I was really shocked. I think famously, like ten days before, I had said to an executive that you can't cancel us because we're all you have, and then like <laughs> boom, canceled. <laughs> but we had. It it was bet- it was after season two and we were gearing up for season three and like we were ready to go but John and I were gonna kill each other because we we've been you know we're a married couple at that point and like when I say that was a round the clock job I mean like you know I look back on Thanksgivings and we're it's me and John sitting in our office eating turkey from Whole Foods oh. uh, we celebrate our birth- like we it was three hundred sixty five days a year that cake and. Season three was coming up, and we were done with each other. We were just on each other's nerves. So we had gone. <laughs> we had made some money that we were like, we got to get the fuck out of the United States and clear our heads. So I went to Norway, and John <laughs> was in Slovenia, and we were going to meet in Copenhagen and write the uh, the opening episode to season three. 
which we had kind of discussed. It, it had been like marinating in our head a little bit. And I, I, we were in our separate countries when we got that email. That it, it was wasn't, a fucking email. <laughs> it was an email. Shut the fuck up. I know. It's harsh. After uh, two seasons, they don't call. Yeah, I think it was a rough day over there because it was that day that they canceled all all their shows in one day. Brooklyn Nine Nine, Last Man on Earth, yeah, whatever. That was all the fuck. I remember that. Yeah, you know, it was the Disney was coming in. I, I can't remember, but but I had no idea. I was floored. But the point is, I was walking <laughs> through Europe with this backpack filled with notes. And I just remember this very cathartic moment where I took this Jan Sport backpack and just put it in a trash can in, in Norway. It was like pouring rain. It was very dramatic. <laughs> and just like moved on. And I, I, I remember being A, furious because we gave so much to that show. And we're just like, fuck, man, they, they, they owed us more than that. And on the flip side, like incredibly relieved. We were broken. Like, we had nothing, you know, it was at the point where every episode was like, how can we possibly, there's no way we can write another one of these. Just yeah. stick a fork in us. We're done. And that's part of just, like, feeling like a fraud, I guess, you know, where you're like, they, everybody knows now that we we had 38 episodes in us and not a single one more. <laughs> so this, the season two was, what, like, 22 episodes or something? I think we did like 20 each season. Holy shit. I mean, shit. we would beg them not to do 24. And we, it would always be this weird negotiation where they'd be like, we've never, we've never had anyone trying to convince us to give them less money. And we we're just like, we, we physically can't. And the way this business is structured, if we hand in three bad ones in a row, it could all go away. So, so we're just trying to keep this as good as we possibly can. But it was every single week was like flying in pages on a cocktail napkin. I mean, it was a full shit show. Oh my god! We and I look back on that fondly. It's like that was fun, but yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't fun when you were doing it. Do you want to do it again? Do you want to run another show? Yes. Uh, yes. Good. I, I don't. I didn't know for a while if I ever would. Uh, I would 100%. Do you and John have a producing partner, like someone to like deal with all the production bullshit? No, I mean, we've had great ones. Or like uh, a producer that you're like, this guy could be with my wife naked, not that you're married, but like I trust <laughs> this guy with my whole life. You know what I mean? I don't have a wife, but if she was naked, there are a couple people I would allow to be with her. I'm not sure what the analogy is. <laughs> the ana no, the analogy is I would always say this about our Fairfax producer, this guy, John Zimelis. I was like, I, I, I truly trust him with like, I could put him uh, alone with my wife naked in a room, and I know he would do the right thing and not try and fuck her. You know, uh, like he that's the analogy. Is that sure? Okay. Yeah, I would hope most of my good friends would not have sex. With no, my no, no, wife. no, no. But what I mean is like <laughs> my make believe wife. No, no, no. But like producers, you know, like they're uh, they're known to be like shoddy and shitty and out for themselves. So to find one, sure. that you're like truly. We've had both. Uh, yes, and we've we don't have a producer that's consistently followed us project to project, but. Our managers at Three Arts who produced the Mick were, you know, we certainly could not have done that show without them. Are the, you still with them? Yep. Who are your managers? Nick Franklin, Ollie Opes. Everybody loves Ollie Opes. Yeah, he's a, uh, you know, he's incredibly unique. <laughs> he, uh, his two clients just wrote the fucking Ninja Turtle movies. They're coming. Oh uh, yeah, Benji. I hear that movie's really good. Yeah, that's what I hear. I'm yeah. dying to fucking see it. Yeah, I was a huge Ninja Turtles kid. Last time I saw you, you were at WME. Did you change agencies? Are you agentless? Still at WME. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, still at WME, with the exception of that 
weird year that too weird that we year. we left. <laughs> so, so what's next for you, dude? What's coming down? We got movies, we got TV shows. Like, what's churning entertainment coming next for us, baby? Uh, well, we don't call it churning entertainment because you know what uh, I mean. Yeah, others okay, we, in our family. Okay, but you know have, what I mean. Uh, I mean, the, the bro- okay, brothers churning. Do you have a production company? Like, what do you guys call uh, yourselves? We have like a, a corp production company called Bing Bang Boom. Okay, uh, that's that, what that, I meant. That I kind of like. John hates it. He wants to change it all the time. I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of like, dude, the band is already let you know. Yeah, like, we're already like, put out we're records. Reinvent you know ourselves. What I mean? Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, we just finished a movie. Um, am I allowed to talk about you, movies? Yeah, am I dude, promoting yes. my scabbing? No, here? I want, no, you, dude, you're allowed to talk about whatever you want. You didn't say we could tomorrow. Podcast. Churn and scabbing? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, we just did a movie that'll come out on Netflix at some point. That's fucking sick. Uh, yeah, it was. Re- I mean, it was a sh- again a shit show as everything else we do is. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. Um, I like it. Who's in it? Uh, this kid, uh, it's mostly unknowns, but this kid, Mason Thames, who was the star of, uh, Black Phone. Uh, it was great and he's great in it and he's just, I mean, little movie star in the making. He's awesome. awesome. It's a comedy. It's a comedy about like four 14 year olds going to their first party. That's incredible, (laughs) dude. Yeah, it was something that honestly, John and I was one of the first ideas we ever started beating around together when we were teenage teenagers. And uh yeah, we just kinda when the pandemic was going on, we were just like, let's write something incredibly dumb and <laughs> juvenile. And we kind of came back to this. It's it's funny. And then Bobby Cannavale, uh, he's like the one adult row. What's it called? Incoming. Okay. And Caitlin Olson comes in and does a great bit part scott MacArthur, who's on the mic comes in and Fuck kills yeah, it dude. so yeah it's mostly just these four 14 year old kids <laughs> all right yeah dude i i know the 14 14 year old kid world very well that's it's fun sounds man. weird to say aloud but you know what i mean <laughs> i mean in television not like you know in pedophilic terms uh well you know <laughs> it was weird like when you work with kids you end up like kind of feeling like their dad a little bit <laughs> it's just so fucking weird <laughs> Uh, and fun too. Like they infuse the set with just a, a innocence and a sweetness. They they were great. We had so much fun. Uh, but I think we're ready to move on after doing two kids things in a row. Like adult time. Yeah. <laughs> fucking a. Good for you, man. Well, fucking a, Dave, man. Yeah. Good what about you. what about you? Tell I'm gonna flip the interview on you. Please now. do. All right. You ever see that curb your enthusiasm? Where uh, yes, but I don't remember. Yeah, twenty years Smith of pot smoke is like uh, you got to flip the interview. Oh, now right. you got to go topsy turvy. <laughs> then you interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's a couple things that I'm. I had like three TV pitches ready to go with producers. Uh, Fairfax is gone. That's the other. Ah, I'm sorry. Know, it's all good, dude. You know, I know. you guys two and over. I know so that fun. game. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you talk about how like syndication was the key or it was a fucking failure. I looked at our show and I was like, if we're not as big as South Park and like if we don't blow Big Mouth out of the fucking water by season two. And then season two didn't even get marketed by Amazon because they're like, well, we have the next fucking thing coming on the fucking conveyor belt. It's uh, that's it's complete bullshit yeah. that it's a failure. Uh, I, I see that now. I think it's probably good that you approach it with that mentality. But yeah. uh, no, it's impossible to get right beyond a season. I know two. People, people, people now are like, Matt, you got two seasons of a show made. Like you did the thing that 99% of people in this town haven't done is like get a show made. I'm it like, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it truly is a, a massive accomplishment i don't say that to be condescending no it's just, i know it, it's 
it's so hard to write a script let alone sell that script let alone get that produced let alone get it picked up to series and then season two like it's essentially like winning the lottery four times in yeah. a row it's a you know, miracle it's really really hard to do it's a miracle so look there's like bullshit here and there and uh i just i'm like I need to write my opus, you know, I need to write my flea bag, like my fucking just like I'm a dirt piece of shit dad who's, you know, vigorously masturbating in the sink with trying to get high all day. Do you have that? I'm working on it. All right. I'm going to start. I'm, work harder. I, it takes me. No, it takes me a while to work harder. <laughs> it takes me a while to like, you know, you think about shit like you saying, you know, that idea about us being 14 and going to your first party. It's been in our heads for a while. Like it, it needs to. You know, it's not a conscious effort on our part, but everything we've ever had success with has been in the back of our mind for well over five years, including the thing that we're writing right now. It's like, uh, you know, like I said, the movie we just made, I mean, we started kicking that around when we were like 1920. Uh, the Mick was probably an idea we had seven years before we made that. Yeah. The thing we're writing now is a thing that didn't work out for us five, six years ago. I think the longer you just sit with these things, you subconsciously like start figuring them out, and then one day, boom, lightning strikes, yeah. and, and you're off. Yeah. Well, Dave, lightning has struck uh, for me here because I got to have you come all the way from Venice. This is so fun. I'm a, I'm a val I grew up in the Valley. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I thought you were a West Side boy because nah. of Harvard Westlake and your affiliation with the Lubers. Well, Harvard Westlake, well, my affiliation with the Lubers, they're Chevy at Hills. <laughs> Can we get him on the they're, phone? Fucking call him call up. Call Luber up. <laughs> we yeah. honestly should. If only if you, whatever they made you say, you have to say it again. I, I mean, I would get tell get him. You down I would be like, Ben, look, no hard feelings. I think Dave it would bring I... up PTSD for, for both of you. Oh, you th no, I'd be like, Ben, look, we need, you know what else? Not to go back to this, Alex Fagay, I don't know if you were friends with him or whatever. I remember he, Alex. He apologized to me. Because he had like a really rough time, I guess, the first good. two weeks of freshman good. freshman year of college. <laughs> I like anyone who apologizes. Right? It's just good for them. Yeah, he he had a rough time, rough transition to college, and I saw him over winter break, and he like approached me at someone's house and was like, hey, I just I want to tell you I'm sorry. He put a picture of cum on the internet. You remember when people were making like angel, <laughs> angel fire websites and geocities? No, but sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. He put a picture of cum on the internet and was like, Matt, like this is like madhousefetter.com, bowl of cum bowl of cum <laughs> yeah and so he it's apologized for insult. that that's nice of him <laughs> hey you you're painting a picture of you as someone who was like severely picked on i no, don't remember i was a fucking way. ass i wasn't the, just by the just by the like ollie temple higgins ben luver Fagay. who else was in that crew you oh, would know man, the, you, uh, you fucking that, bully. You're, you're talking to the brantwood boys that's I true they were the, they were they were they were i always forget you know, I think at that age, everyone is just different levels of super insecure. Oh, my God. And, yeah, uh, yeah everybody's yeah. just just fighting to survive. At but that I'm point. glad that it, what episode <laughs> of the Mick? I want to watch this. Man, it was uh, season one. I don't remember the episode, but uh, Scott MacArthur wrote it. it. It was such a funny scene. And I do remember explaining to this kid who was the actor, like telling him this story. Just like it was a weird nuance within. <laughs> you know, a, a just very traditional high school fight moment. Yeah. But there was this strange nuance where the two people at the center of it were being like forced into it in a way that yeah. I, I, it always stuck with me as like, I just remember the look in Ben's eyes and I'll never forget him turning to, I guess it was Michael. Yeah. And, and just saying like, dude, stop like like really quietly incredible. and that's exactly what we what we put in the show incredible yeah just like dude stop like begging you to not make me do this 
not make this guy apologize to me. <laughs> well, Dave, you are you are uh, a gentleman and a scholar. I so appreciate you coming to do this. Oh, it's fun. I, I I the equipment makes me nervous, but I had a great time. You're doing so it. classy. You brought wine over. Like I, you don't show up to someone's house without a gift. And also, I, I you know I needed to bring the soul to the surface. That's so right. To speak. That's right. <laughs> well, dude, thanks again, man. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, Dave.